please join me for a quick prayer before we start the sermon. Uh, Lord, we just wanted to thank you for bringing us all here today. Um, just want to pray for blessings during this sermon, and uh, thank you for always having our back and not letting us slip, as we are about to speak about in a second. Amen. So, Psalm 121, which we read earlier, kind of brings to mind a scene like this one. It's a scene that you might see in any TV or movie, movie or TV show. The main character is just gazing away at a landscape, but they're just not really enjoying their view. I mean, you know, cities are not always the most enjoyable view, right? Instead, their head is hanging down, the weight of the world is pressing down on their shoulders. They're very deep in thought, trying very hard to find a solution for their problems, but they just can't seem to come up with anything. This seems to be a head, the headspace of the person who wrote Psalm 121. He wasn't looking out at a city landscape, because skyscrapers weren't really a thing back then, um, but his view was more like this one, just widespread of breathtaking mountains and, you know, every direction. As he gazed up at the hills outside of Jerusalem and wrote these words, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It's as though he gazes hard enough at these mountains. Perhaps magically, you know, some source of help is going to uh, come over the top of them and come down to help him, but nothing's coming. Now, what exact problem do you think the psalm writer may have been facing as he wrote these words? We really don't know. Uh, but still, we can probably relate to the way he feels. Have you ever had a problem in your life that was so big you couldn't see your way around it? Have you ever looked up at the mountains or out over the city, um, your backyard, anywhere? possibly with tears in your eyes and just wish that somehow, magically, help would appear over the horizon and take all your problems away. It could be, you know, you have health problems that take all the money in the world, but, you know, they just won't go away. It could be, you know, some kind of relationship issue that all the counseling in the world won't fix. Or maybe it's just some other problem, but the fact is, at various times in life, we all have problems that we just can't see our way around. It's the same for the psalm writer. And so, as he gazes up at the mountains, it's half hoping that magically help is going to appear over the horizon. But it doesn't. But instead, something else happens. As he looks at those mountains, he is reminded of the one who made those mountains. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's a lot of depth that's packed into that one short verse. The psalm writer doesn't have an immediate solution for his problem, but what he does have is a helper. Someone who has helped him in the past, and someone who will definitely help him in the future. That someone is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Before we go further, let's talk a little bit about this word, Lord. The Hebrew Old Testament has several different words for God, but this one is special. It's so special that the Jewish people didn't even want to say it out loud, and as a result, we're not really sure what it sounds like. It might be pronounced Yahweh. It might be pronounced Jehovah. Most English Bibles just translate this word into Lord with all capital letters, so you know it's special. But what's particularly special about this word, the Lord, is the way God uses it. It's always the name that is associated with God's covenant promises to his people. For example, God told Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
God used this name, Lord, to remind people that he was a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God who keeps all his promises, including his, his biggest promise to send a savior. This word, the Lord, is a very big deal. So the psalm writer gazes up at the mountains, possibly through his tears, and asks, where does my help come from? He ends up answering his own question. My help comes from the Lord. The promise-keeping God, the God of grace and forgiveness, the God who will send a Savior one day. The psalm writer may not know what the future holds, but he does know who holds the future, and he trusts that his God will never let him down. What about us? Brothers and sisters, as you gaze out blankly at the mountains in your life, as you stare down problems that you have absolutely no idea how to solve, you can have the same comfort that the psalm writer did, because you have the same helper that the psalm writer did. And unlike him, you're not waiting and trusting in God to send a savior of the world someday, because you know that God has already done it. God already sent his only son into the world to die on the cross as a payment for our sins, and to rise from the grave to assure us of our eternity in heaven someday. These things have happened already. They're accomplished facts. They're part of history. God already kept his greatest promise to the world when he sent his son to be our savior. And that tells us a lot about God, doesn't it? When political, let's try and like take this to like a real life application, right? When a political candidate runs for office, they make a lot of big claims and big promises about what they're going to do when they get elected. It kind of seems like you know the promises get bigger and bigger as time goes on, right? But um, that's a different story. You could listen to just about any candidate make his or her campaign speech, and you might come away convinced that they're brilliant, they're caring, they're compassionate, just the perfect person to go vote for, right? But as they say, talk is cheap, and a savvy voter knows that they should really go look at a politician's track record, because a lot of times it's very different than what they say. Of course, they have a lot of lofty promises for the future, but what have they actually delivered on with their promises that they made in the past? In the Bible, God makes like similarly lofty promises. Surely I will be, like for example, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Another one, in all things, I will work for the good of those who love me. Another one, I will rescue you from every evil attack and bring you safely to my heavenly kingdom. It's pretty easy to say, right? But will God actually do it? We can be sure that we will because we've already seen his track record. We have the Old Testament recounting thousands of years of Israelite history where God keeps one promise after another after another. We also have the New Testament and specifically the four Gospels that are absolutely packed with information and details and eyewitness accounts of how Jesus the Savior did exactly the things God had always promised he would do. In the Bible, we see God's track record. It's all laid out there for us to see. And it's incredible. In fact, it's perfect. In the Bible, God never made a promise that he didn't keep. And that's why we can be so confident that God will continue to fulfill his promises in the future. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So think about that. Um, God already did the most dramatic thing he could possibly do. He sent his own son to suffer and die and be our savior. Do you really think he's going to give up on you now? 
So take it back to real life again, or today's life today. I want you to imagine something. Imagine that you know, a mother carries her child in her body for nine months. During that time, her body gets stretched and strained and uncomfortable. Then she has to go through hour after hour of really painful labor to bring her child into the world. When it's over, she's exhausted, yet she looks at that cute little bundle of joy in her arms and all she can feel is love. I don't have kids, so I can't really relate, but I'm sure most of you do. Um, she looks at his perfect nose, eyes, ears, tiny little fingers, and she knows that this was all worth it. The next day, she goes home and places the baby in a bassinet next to her bed. But when the baby wakes up at 2 a.m. crying for food, she just decides, nah, I'm not getting up, this is too much. I'll just let my baby starve. <laughs> Would this ever happen? No way, right? Um, the mom has already given so much, up so much for her baby over the past nine months and through a really painful delivery. So she's very invested at this point. You know, she's all in. This is her child. She will sacrifice many more things for it in the months and years ahead. That is a love and investment, or that love and investment that a mother has for her child is just a tiny reflection of the love and investment God has for you. God has already done so much for you. He sent his own son to die for you. He guided your life to connect with his word so you can learn about it. And he sent his Holy Spirit into your heart to create faith there. God's all in on you. He's invested. He's not going to give up on you. And that means, like the psalm writer, you can be confident when you are facing problems. You may not know exactly how God is going to help you, but you know that he will. As the psalm writer says, you will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Of course he will, because he's already invested. He's already all in. He's already solved your greatest problem of sin. And he will help you navigate through the rest of your problems, those smaller less significant problems as well. Now, does that mean you will never again have a day where you feel like the psalm writer? That you will never again have a day where you are gazing out over the mountains, wondering how your problem will ever be solved? Probably not. I mean, I might, I'm probably going to have one this week at work, I'm sure. But life in this sin-filled world is painful, confusing, and it's hard. But in the hard times, you can do what this psalm writer does. You can cry out to God. And that's the whole theme of our summer sermon series, Conversations with God. It would really be a great theme for the whole book of Psalms, because this is what the book of Psalms is. 150 different examples of God's children opening up their hearts and crying out to him about whatever is on their, their mind. So, to kind of close this out, may God give us the wisdom to trust him with his problems, even when we can't see the solutions and the confidence to cry out to him every time of need. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.